process of derealization in the dispute that leads to war is both continued in war and reversed by it. The relentless work of derealizing the competing cultural constructs is on the one hand intensified as each population actively struggles to eliminate the other's beliefs that have come into conflict its own. It is not by eliminating, realizing or annihilating the opponent that one will have salvaged one's own national self-definition, but by oneself winning the contest and earning by that designation of winner the right to enact one's own constructs. Thus, the first function of injury, establishing of the categories of winners and losers, the one that can be replaced with any contest activity, continues the derealization process of dispute. But injuring is a reversal of dispute because injuries provide the radical material base for the winning issues, investing them with the bodily attribute of reality until there is a time for both of the populations to consent to them, enact them and make them real. In the first moments and days and weeks when the war has just been declared over, the competing fictions, both the one on the losing side that is now officially unreal and the one on the winning side that is to be accepted as henceforth real, have even less reality than they did before the war started. And the sudden abrupt assertion, now one of those constellations of beliefs will be accepted as true, would be a vacant absurdity if there were not something giving it a compelling quality, not only memorializing that a process of resolution indisputable took place, but also lending those attributes of compelling reality and indisputable facility to the outcome as well. Thus, the relentless and extraordinary physical alterations occurring in war itself are framed on either side as its opening as its close by unshorted issues, issues with private of substantiation. We open in Sri Lanka on a small fishing village and a fishing boat approaches and fishermen come out and they meet the people on the shore and they help each other tending to the nets and carrying the fresh captured fish and sorting it out. There are a bunch of trucks waiting to carry the fish out and we see one of the fishermen go with three wooden crates full of fish come towards one of the tracks and start pulling out the winches the back starts to stocking them the cargo container that's when we turn and see approaching a man we see Johnny just ease back onto like a uh, another nearby crate that doesn't have anything in it it's been unloaded already and he kind of just sits down 
and very quietly pulls out a revolver and starts spinning the cylinder and making sure that each uh, chamber is loaded. And as he does, he says, good catch today. And the man turns around, pausing for a moment only as he realizes that he's being addressed on English. We see Monaco, or the spy formerly known as Monaco, George Lazenby, like the long beard, board marks on the face, car in the front of his forehead, barely covered by dirty hair and the beanie, and he just looks defeated as he recognizes Iron Man. Yeah, says on a tired voice, how did you find me? That's the thing about you, Lazenby, is uh, you have this truly, and I mean this in the nicest way that I can, slippery quality about you. You make it out of these just the worst scrapes. Maybe a little worse for wear, but you always make it out. I watched them missiles hit that beach. Just didn't feel quite right. Put out some feelers. Heard that somebody had spotted someone that looked an awful lot like, uh, like George Lazenby. Out in a little fishing village in Sri Lanka. Damnedest thing. Can I be honest with you? Yeah. Whatever, man. You look like shit. Yeah, I do. Like, but I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm done. After everything, after what just happened, after everything blew up, like, what was I to do? To drag myself back to England continue to do the same crap 20 years ago I wanted to call it quits and I did not because of your friend my wife, my the love of my life she was killed because of who I am because of this nonsense and I wanted out, I wanted out and again your friend told me that I needed to commit to one path, either to forget her and continue to devote myself or continue as what we were planning just to leave this behind and based on his advice I continue and what the fuck that got that got to the world I'm out now here's the thing Lazenby that's a sad story a lot of people got sad stories and the thing about them is they are all most of the time actually pretty sad but you know I have to wonder how many people out in the world have sad stories, and the villain of those stories is Monocle. I know you wanted out, and I know Felix convinced you. That's, as far as I'm concerned, not quite the same person as John Doe, although that's something we're going to have to reckon with at some point, I'm sure. I wish you had gotten out 20 years ago, I do. I wish you'd never gotten in at all. But the things that I wish, that ain't shit compared to the hurt that you've caused. What if someone convinces you to get back in? You know, it happened before. Could happen again. I'm afraid that's not a chance I can take. And Johnny draws and fires. Where do you shoot him? It's clean. It's he's kind of seated and it's the way that he's like sort of angled. It goes under the chin and upward. Yeah, he does not get to tell you that the words that are on his last neurons firing, which is yeah, is that what you think about your friend? That at some point you're gonna have to put a bullet on him too? But again, perhaps our man knew that was what would be said and made sure that such 
upwards or never echo. I think we see a moment of that in Shani's eyes as he sort of just, we see that and then you see his eyes just kind of become duller as he walks over to Monocle and kneels down and really looks at him. I think he even very gently just takes Lazenby's face in his hands and sort of turns it a little bit one side to the other. Um, and he says, no more slipping away, I guess, and leaves him where he's laying. So how did you find about about Monaco and uh, that he was on Sri Lanka? Johnny has a, if he didn't before, he has started to develop a pretty well-connected network of people keeping an eye on things. It was something that he started doing a little while ago, almost kind of on accident. And it was a weird consequence of his power of precognition, where he could be like walking through an area and he might like look at someone and sort of see some of their future and know that, and you know, they might have some valuable information some time to come see like maybe see a conversation between himself and that person and he just started passing out discreet ways to contact him so he's been doing this for a little while i think almost subconsciously but i feel like it probably started in tokyo after all i mean that's like the city of spies it like you know that old that whole period was so much about keeping that dual role um, and I think that maybe a part of him slipped into that in a way that it was just a little bit too comfortable what he said to Monocle was true after Macau he just kind of couldn't shake this feeling that like it was such a big explosive ending didn't feel quite right it didn't seem like it, it, it there was something about it that just seemed off so he just started putting some feelers out seeing if anyone had noticed anyone who looked like George Lazenby you know, in some of the more remote parts of the world. Uh, maybe somebody, you know, who, like, you know, saw him get on a plane or something like that. Something that where he would have been, he would have had to venture just barely into public. About a week ago, Johnny was contacted by one of, one of his informants and told that this person was almost certain that Monocle, bad as he looked, was hiding out in this little fishing village in Sri Lanka. And... Though this is the moment we've seen, Johnny's been here for a couple days. He wanted to be really sure. Once he was certain, he figured out a point where he could do what he needed to do. So this seems much more like an actual intelligence operation rather than the DOS system of System 4. And this seems pretty against the cybernetic ideal. So, but on the other hand, this is the kind of thing that... Uh, communist government of Chile will be okay with, and we know that of all the System 4 members, you're the only one that actually technically works for it. So, do you have people of the government helping you with this? I think so, but I don't think it's in an official capacity. I think this is a strictly off-the-books operation. Well, that's intelligence for you, right? How much is it official? And I also think that that's kind of how he's justifying it to himself, because he knows that it's not again, like it's not in line with the, the the cybernetic principles. And he also knows that maybe System 4 probably wouldn't be so crazy about it, especially considering this is his job for the government, so to speak. But he still thinks that this is for the greater good. 
And uh, that's kind of how he's justified this for himself, I think. Mm -hmm. So that being the case, one has to wonder how much other information do you feed to the guard? I think broadly speaking, Johnny's trying to play most everything pretty close to the vest right now. He gives the government the information he feels like he needs them to have and and enough to keep them satisfied. But as he was kind of like casing all of this, he found a time to go take a look at where Monocle has been staying while he was out doing the day-to-day work of fishing. And I think he made a strong point of not disturbing anything, not making it look like it was a break-and-enter situation. But he took a look around to see if Monocle was still doing things like gathering intelligence, doing, you know, the work that he'd been doing his entire life. Because he, even if Monocle was, by all he could tell, going straight, just being a simple fisherman, Johnny, I don't think, bought that and was willing to bet that there was something that Monocle wouldn't be able to let it go the way he says he would. Yeah, and it turns out that uh, you really can cannot find much. Like, not even his trademark guns. There's really nothing left. I mean, the closest thing to indicator is the the silver cigarette box that he had. That seems to be the only thing that he kept his old life. And I think Johnny found that surprising. Not the cigarette box, just the lack of trappings, the, the lack of luxury if anything i think it was i don't think it made him angry i think it kind of made him sad that this had really been all this person had and he had given it up but it didn't really change what johnny felt like needed to be done but i doubt to make all these arrangements just now for Lazenby. you probably been building this network for a while now and we all know what is the fish that you're actually chasing, don't we? I think we see it played out in a number of dingy hotel rooms and bus stations and other innocuous places. We see it the most in the hotel rooms as Johnny cleans a gun and we see every cylinder on this revolver just click. And as we do... We see in his mind's eye the face of Carter Wax on the boat. We see him smiling that lazy, sort of effortless, kind of almost all-American smile at him. The cylinder clicks, and we see that same face with a splatter of blood over it. The cylinder clicks, and we see another face, a handsome man who we've not seen before with his eyes just lifeless a click and it's wax looking at Johnny again as he stands over this lifeless man and that smile a little more unhinged a little sicker just starts to spread over his face click and then a gunshot and there is a propaganda picture of Carter Wax's face on the wall of this hotel room with a hole right between the eyes. You've been keeping a very close eye on the Americans' operations, trying to figure out how much of what they are doing. 
and you keep getting help from the government as they see it a matter of national defense because who knows what the Americans might plot next so whenever you ask something on that vein El Puerta is very quick to oblige and um, you one of the people that uh, you have integrated on your network was Sarah, the maid hacker that you have met in British occupied Japan because she was able to get into the aerospace communications of the American and uh, she has been informing of you whenever there's some interesting information for sale and you have yourself been trying to intercept some communications so you cannot be using the the telex system for the cybernetic international for this otherwise this would not remain hidden for long so what is the setup that you have arranged and you still have it uh, on uh, your university lab for telecommunications or you have moved elsewhere so it's a series of just long-range beacons and they communicate exclusively in binary It's rudimentary enough that people would like, I mean, and and I don't think that there are enough people who would be able to tap in, like know to tap into this frequency, this long range frequency, and then decode binary, which once translated out of binary, it translates into a cipher that Johnny wrote himself. And he has made sure that these beacons end up in the hands of anybody who's been providing him information that he finds particularly interesting. And he keeps, I mean, the, like the, the receivers for these are very small. He keeps one in his office at work um, at the university. He keeps one at his house. I, I think he, uh, if possible, like when he's out and about, um, tries to keep one on him. You know, they're fairly, I would say, maybe palm sized. And he tries to make sure that he is ready to receive interesting pieces of communication on those at all times. Everyone else who's been informing him is using relatively straightforward things letters he has a i think as best he has been able to rig one up a private telephone number at his home that people can call him at if they have stuff to tell him but if they've been providing useful and good information consistently they have one of these beacons and they can transmit that stuff to him directly so that you know not everyone finds out about it right away so it is when you come back to santiago from your journey across the world that you find for multiple people a distress call that has been going on that has been intercepted a distress call that is coming out from the moon coming from one of actually one of the biggest bases that was a launching point for logistics on the moon's wars but you know that have been adapted for civilian use on the aftermath of the war so what can you take Tell me about this base, Caldera Station. I think Johnny knows Caldera Station very, very well. And when he realizes he's getting a distress call from there, just the pit of his stomach falls out instantly. He starts to breathe heavier. He's sweating. He doesn't know Caldera Station because it was where he was stationed for most of his time there when he was doing research before it just became an all-out bloodbath. He was stationed elsewhere, one of the research stations, and then, which 
turned into almost like one of the one of one of the more training oriented stations for lunar combat. Caldera Station, he knows because at the time it became a contested location and also one of the bloodiest fights of the war. A lot of people died there, including one of Johnny's very close friends. And he also, in that moment, saw, I think, the worst of both sides of the war. He saw what the people who were fighting had become. He watched people that he thought, you know, were decent in it for the right reasons, as far as he could understand, just turn into monsters. Caldera Station was the last fight, and it was the one that caused Johnny to walk away from the war, from the U.S., from everything. When he sees that distress call, he breathes heavier and sweats and writes it down as best as he can put the information down with shaking hands. And in this shitty little hotel room, we see him walk to the bathroom and from off screen, we hear the noises of him getting sick. And the thing is, this distress signal has been on a loop for three weeks now. And it is being sent to NASA over and over again. And there's no reply back from the American. They're silent. They are ignoring this distress uh, signal. For some reason, they are not sending anyone there. And you know that Caldera, Caldera was so important because it was the closest station to the Stargate. If you give on the you know, on the Caldera, that makes any use of the operation of the Stargate much more difficult. Why are they not sending anyone? And even worse, as you spend time with the transcription, as you request more and more fragments of the stress sign, there's something very familiar. So what about the signal tells you that this was actually sent by Breeze, your old friend that sent you the warning about Lord Durax before they were captured? by the Americans, they are the ones sending the distress call. How do you figure that out? You're 100% certain Briz was the one sending this. They were, at least three weeks ago, they were on Caldera Station. Is using a an old military code that Johnny used, I mean, like uh, like the whole, the whole US effort used a lot during the Moon War. But the specifics of how this cipher being sent. These ciphers were slightly different from one unit to another to make sure that streams didn't get crossed. And the reason that Johnny is sure that it's Breeze is because every other member of their unit is dead. Breeze and Johnny Jennings are the only ones left. So you know the people of Caldera Station, they are sending this signal, this distress call, calling for help. And not only that, and the Americans are not answering, Briz is there also asking for help. And you realize that having just, you know, probably escaped the Americans, still they are contacting the Americans. 
for help. Which, you know, whatever the fuck is happening there is worth doing that. Knowing Breeze, why do you think that they are doing that? The last time we heard from Breeze, they were warning us about Lord Durax and an extraterrestrial invasion. Breeze was part of the Moon War. Breeze fought or in Caldera. Part of Johnny's unit knows about the Stargate. Breeze has done deep, like deep space intelligence for a significant period of time. And Breeze also has a penchant for getting in deeper than they can get out of. So I don't know that Johnny's sure specifically why Breeze is reaching out in this moment. But he knows that for Breeze to finally be sending a distress signal, whatever it is, something is imminently very, very wrong. So we get back to Santiago and we get back to the command station of System 4. So everyone is there on their stations going through their reading. Even a void walker is unusually paying attention, only stopping to answer a call on her share phone. And uh, what are the two of you doing towards Kira and Jondo? What have you been uh, looking into on the f- last few weeks? John Doe is looking at articles about he's trying to keep track of our disco god of death because whenever he's summoned to the real world, which John, which we had to do, and John Doe might even be muttering about this. Whenever he comes to the real world, he never comes once. Bad things come in threes. Yeah, and you know very well that he has been causing plenty of trouble. He has been found uh, reanimating the dead in many locals and messing things, but always disappearing too fast. And uh, so to the point that when you actually get reports on that, he also already moved on. But uh, yeah, it's pretty clear that uh, uh, you have uh, rattled him and Simon Lacre has been jumping around. Think stuff. Who knows where he's going to pop up next? And in fact, because they are normally in charge of the mystical stuff, I'm going to just... Kiona, you've got anything on Bolivar? Oh, nothing on Bolivar. I think last time that uh, he appeared, he, he was on Thessalonica, and he has disappeared again. John Doe is chewing a pen to pieces as he's saying it. Just Where do you think he's going to pop? I mean, the only way really to know is to summon him back. But you don't want to do that without a plan. Hey, you know that we cannot really fight him. That's the thing. Are you researching on anything, any way to contain? Because the best that you can do is bore him or the opposite and excite him. And uh, well, this is how you end up with all these reports. Yeah, I'm hoping we find some way to like talk him back into the underworld. Yeah, that silence is kind of what I expected. Joachim, you got any ideas? I mean, it usually takes a god to fight a god, usually, or maybe a demigod. Why don't we have a couple of those lying around? And Lisfer looks up from his monitor. Yeah, I thought y'all just were involved on the powers of a god. Uh, What ended up happening with that after all? That could have come useful now. Dealing with uh, Bolivar, no? Well, dead gods should stay dead, and 
the other one that we shall not name. That one was too evil and too dangerous to unleash. Probably would do more damage than uh, Boulevard could. Boulevard doesn't seem to really want to hurt people. He just wants something to keep him interested for a little bit. If he'd been really into Rubik's Cubes, this would have been easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, if that god stayed dead, we'll not have this problem in the first place, would we? And uh, Void Volka just shakes her head. Honestly, nothing good can come from messing into that. How about just let them be? If the problem is that they will get bored, maybe they'll just be bored if we are not paying attention. Do you think that he's not aware that uh, y'all looking at him? That's probably only makes it more interesting for him. You might be right, Voids. Or he could get so bored he comes here and looks for trouble. Oh, that would be bad. Are you going to fight him then? I don't think so. It'll be a John Doe problem. So I'm trying to I'm trying to be proactive. So what is Berserkir looking at? So I think Berserkir is just pretending to work at this point, just staring at a blank screen, contemplating basically their place in society at the moment. And, you know, kind of a little bit homesick at this point. I mean, we just dealt with a old dead Norse god and the whole thing with Monocle. I mean, yes, took out a very bad person, but also, you know, some people like are still out there. So they're going to look into probably red hexes, like where red hexes, like they just turn on the computer at this point, just, you know, type in the telex machine, red hex and see what they're up to at the moment, because Berserker is just a little bit worried that Red Hex is trying to resurrect more gods, and we're just going to have more boulevards to deal with. Yeah, and uh, Red Hex seems to be currently on Argentina. He's there uh, as things are part of rebuilding. He's there uh, supposedly helping with the, the aspects of forming a new superpower defense forces of the victorious communist party. Uh, I really should check in on the twins. I wonder how they're doing. Yeah. You, you have not heard that. I, you think that they left Japan. Of course they left Japan. Uh, they left with you. <laughs> they left with us, I believe. Yes. <laughs> uh, but you, you don't know if they, they are back in Argentina or if they went somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, as you are thinking about that, Iron Man comes back. Everyone on the room, they exchange glances because, like, he's been gone for almost a week. He's not said anything. He does not look very well, so maybe he was sick. Also, he did not say anything to anyone about that. So everyone is just pretending to be working as they kind of wait to see what Highwayman does. Do you, do you need some tea or something, Highwayman? You don't look so well. Should you? No, I'm fine, thank you. Where you been, Johnny? Uh, I uh, was just out following up on a lead. It's not not anything too exciting. Uh, nothing really came of it. That, by the way, is actually sort of a new affectation of Johnny's where he's kind of started cutting people off in sentences or, or answering very abruptly. Because, I mean, like, it's this thing, he's just gotten so tired now that he's not really doing this thing that he does where he waits for people to finish talking because he already knows what they're going to say. 
So some of that mask of politeness has started to slip a little bit. But yeah, he just looks exhausted. His face is maybe like a little more drawn and kind of tired. He maybe even looks like he's like lost just a little bit of weight. And uh, he says, yeah, I I just uh, I I was looking into something, but it turned out it was nothing too interesting. Y'all, what y'all been looking into? Oh, uh, nothing too interesting. What the hell kind of goose chase did you go on to make you look like that? Nothing. I just haven't been sleeping so well for a little while. Bolivar, did you uh, figure out what to do about him yet? I'm still digging. Johnny, you want to go get something to eat? You look hungry. I think we see Johnny sort of take a second and genuinely, like, physically check in on himself just for a second. And he says... Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd like that, actually. Joachim, uh, you hungry? Uh, sure, why not? Uh, Quizineers isn't open yet, but I think there's a, that pretty good food cart in the food garden. Why don't we go there? You know, I have been wanting to check that place out, but actually, I've, uh, I've got a spot in mind, actually. A place I don't think I've taken y'all yet. Why don't y'all, uh, y'all want to hop in the sidecars and head on down there? Uh, you know, a short thing, Johnny. Let me grab my coat. John and Johnny know each other really well. That is how Johnny also, in the first question, perfectly defeated John Doe's vibe detection. So John, in the exact same counter, as he's grabbing his coat, throws a bunch of paper balls around the room, all with different shit written on them. And is like, all right, let's go. Voids, clean that up. Why'd you make such a big mess? I want to ask a question. Go ahead. Is the shit written on the written on the paper balls important? That is the thing. They are all important, but all of them are irrelevant save one. There is enough that it would take Johnny a significant amount of time to figure out what the timeline where somebody opens a relevant one and then to read it. Mm. Boom. John Doe's been listening. No, that's that's very good. Could I attempt an overcome to see if I can figure out which one that would be? Here's the thing. If Lou's okay with it, I'm okay with you knowing because it's just going to make Johnny feel bad. So the thing is that you ask the void and the void going to be first, what? And then just look at them and then snap and teleport away. So you really need to be the nowhere camp because you need to be faster than void I, I like that. I like that as the stakes. Yeah, I'm. this is going to be me invoking principle of the tactician as an overcome. It's a five. So I will propose... That the, the minor twist is that Void manages to spirit away most of that, including probably the important one, but you are managed to collect enough of them that you know that uh, it is not that. So you kind of are left that, okay, I know what was not about enough to make a guess, an approximated guess of what might be on the actual important. Brad, how does that sound to you? An approximate guess as to what's on the important one is that it is, at the very least, some expression of concern about Johnny and something that is go- that they should do going forward. Yeah, all right. I think he kind of files that away and kind of makes a mental note to maybe contact someone about, you know... Keeping a close eye on his on his office at the university and uh, as well as his uh, his workstations and stuff at home and here just to make sure that there are 
maybe not any uh, loose ends on available information that he might not want others to have. And uh, heads out to the bike. So Berserk here, like in all that, they they know what fine means now. Like they didn't know for a while, but they know now that fine never means you're feeling good or great. It means I am not feeling good, but I don't want to talk about it. So Berserkir's not going to, Joachim's not going to bring it up quite yet until Johnny does. I think as we make it outside of System 4, Johnny sits down onto the bike and flips it to the, the sidecar configuration. And once everybody's mounted up, he guns the throttle. And we drive for a little bit until we're further off from System 4. And we're eating at um, a very busy, very kind of like densely packed, kind of loud, like family run eatery, open air, kind of outdoor sort of place. And they're just serving uh, traditional Chilean food here. They're not like this is not, you know, like the cuisinaire where you, know, you can get stuff from all over the world. This is just some straight up and down Chilean food. But it's also loud enough that it would be very difficult for anybody to be paying too close of attention to them here. I think as much as possible, I am I have shed kind of the the trappings of the highwayman. And now I'm I'm kind of just here as Johnny um, so that I'm a little bit out of I'm, I'm not as conspicuous. I can't really speak to the others, but I'm not trying to stick out. I mean, John Doe wears what he wears everywhere. Tank top, jeans, good hair. I also feel like probably just doesn't stick out that much here. Yeah. Yeah, they're probably serving a very nice carbonada today. Ooh, that looks so good. Yeah, I think Johnny orders without hesitation. Uh, maybe as soon as they sit down, pulls out a, a flask from a uh, from a back pocket or, or something and uh, takes a slug off of it and then hands it over to John. You know... Drinking on the job is a little different for the two of us. As John takes a sip, offers it to Joachim. Joachim does take it, takes a swig, passes it back to Johnny. Uh, Johnny takes a second swig and puts it back in his in his pocket. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, until we get towards sundown, it's about the closest thing I'm going to get to sleep. So I'll uh, take what I can get for now. So you uh, you want to talk about it or you want to just eat lunch and we'll pretend? I do have something to talk about. You remember Breeze tipped us off about uh, about Lord Durex a little while back? Old contact of mine from the Moon War. Yeah, your old war buddy. Yeah. I uh, was following up on a hunch and uh, looked into some stuff that was going up uh, or going on up the moon. And I found um, I found this. Johnny pulls out this like very like as discreetly as possible, like this little makeshift rig that's showing a a flashing light that is pulsing to show the distress signal, whatever the form would be on that. And he has already, he's like, uh, there's a distress signal that's been running up on uh, in Caldera Station. His breath kind of catches as he says that. For about three weeks now, I was able to get it decoded and he pulls out a, a notepad. And I don't actually know what this notepad says on it. Does it have something specific that it says, Lou? Or is it just a general distress signal? The signal is exactly, it's very, it's informed that it's Caldera Station, that uh, the Stargate has been acting erratic, that people are missing, that uh, communications from other stations are cut off, that uh, they need to send help immediately because they don't know how long the caldera is gonna 
remain habitable. So Johnny shows this, passes this pad over to to John and uh, and to Joachim and says, this signal's been running for three weeks now without stop. It's been beaming directly to NASA and there has been no response. Three solid weeks. I know that this is Breeze, the cipher that this is in, that was my unit. We were the only ones that used it and uh, well, they're the only other one left. The only other person who'd know it, so... Uh, so you want to boot up and rescue him? Yeah, I think I do. All right. Y'all, uh, I, I mean, I know it's not official business, but y'all, uh, y'all will. Johnny, someone in need is asking for help. That is official business. So the thing is that you know that this cannot have come through the Cybernetic International because it would be very weird that they would send this only to Iron Man, you know? Probably what the things that uh, Subarana and Lance Flair have on their search would also have welcomed this. And more important, it's unlikely that this would have been sent only to the Chilean branch. Probably the Pakistani and Yugoslavian killers would be made aware of this. So it's really weird that this is something that, as Taiwan puts it, outside of official business because yeah it's someone asking for help but they are not asking for help from you they're asking help from Nansen so I'm gonna ask John you know I have no pro- I just told you yeah we'll boot and rally how the hell did you get that I've um just been keeping my eye on a few things uh, ever since ever since we saw wax just um I don't know paranoia maybe but been checking in with some folks, and uh, this got passed along to me just from a few people. Well, from someone that I've been kind of in contact with as something that would probably be of interest to me. So I saw it. I don't really know that they understood the significance of it per se, but I did. So I figured it best to follow up on it. You're always, and you've always been, and I'm not your boss. So uh, you're entitled to your private life, Johnny. You know that. But um, I'm going to help you. Probably going to have to call Subrana and at least Lenslayer because I'm going to do it. I'd rather not. Okay. That's an interesting further question. Why do you want to keep it off the books? This is kind of personal for me. And John, we've known each other a while. Yoki might know we haven't known each other as long, but I would still say we've gotten fairly close. I'm sure you all have noticed you don't hear me talk about the Lunar Conflict very much. I don't like who I was much during all that. John, I'm sure that um, that's something you can probably appreciate. I'd rather, as far as System 4 is concerned, that part of me stays dead. And as personal as this is, as much as help might be good, I'd rather Lens Flare and Superana not end up privy to all that. Johnny, that's, that's kind of the thing, though. That's what System 4's strength is. I mean, for God's sake, how often does my past come up when someone bursts out of van and starts shooting at us? I don't know. We don't know Superana's story, but we still help her when something from her past rears its head, don't we? I know three things about Voidwalker, and one of them is her favorite type of sandwich. I, do, I mean, I do want to know what the... What is it? Lou, what is Voidwalker's favorite type of sandwich? The favorite type of sandwich, actually, is uh, the Italiano. It's basically, it's an avocado hot dog. 
It's uh, an Italiano. It's kind of an avocado hot dog. I mean, you're in Chile. You know what uh, an Italiano is. Yeah. I pay a lot of attention. I know lots about all of you. Uh, It's kind of my trick. We don't have to tell them. But um, to be honest, A, unless you built a rocket under your house, I don't know how we're going to get there. B, they should know in case this is something catastrophic, something apocalypse class. Because that way, if we don't make it home, somebody has a chance to stop it. I'm all one for vengeance. I mean, I know you've worked with some very horrible people. I've met them. They're quite scary. However, you shouldn't bear this burden alone. We can help you achieve this. Other people can help you achieve this. Like, and honestly, I don't feel safe trying to teleport to the moon. Pretty far distance. And you can see Joachim kind of visibly sweat. Like, there's something more to their fear of the moon. Like, they're they're actually afraid of the moon at this point, almost. And you, you don't see Joachim sweat that much. But I, I will need time to prepare. I'm not sure what spirits I can call upon the moon to do, to do what I need to do. And the one up there, I don't want to call upon. Bad spirit? Very bad. And you have to remember, this is considered, like, in Joachim's mythology, this is post-Ragnarok. So there's only, there's two gods that were dead, two dead gods up there, and one living, I don't even know if you want to call him a god. Like, they're not really a god, they're a a monster. Well, it's a bad spirit, Joachim needs time to repair, and I mean... Johnny, while I do trust your tactical human ability to have anything to prepare, unless you have three spacesuits ready to go, we're gonna need help. I can't breathe in space. Probably. Yeah, also, there is the whole thing of how you're gonna get to space, one, and B, how you're gonna get from space to the moon. I understand, and we'll use discretion. It's our middle name. Lou, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. I want to shoot very straight here. How much of this can I have resolved by the time we're talking about this already? Like by like by the point at which we're having this conversation, I already have this shit ready to go. Like how much of that can I have ready? I mean, you can already have made all the arrangements with whoever is taking you to space and whoever is taking you from space to the moon. I think that I will have done that. Get to a few days ago when you were meeting on Jamaica, and uh, he was uh, Jamaica is a member of the non-alignment movement. It is basically one of you, and uh, it is currently ruled by, by the People's National Party, and they too have been fighting the CIA for a while. And again, they are not very friendly to Moscow, but. Uh, the events that have happened recently, they push a bit, them a bit more into the side, especially yeah, how things have gone with Argentina. And uh, you know that uh, Bordegar has been there, kind of on the low key, kind of someone that is a much more neutral presence, trying to court the Manley administration. And you, in theory, you are also there representing the cybernetic socialists, trying to pitch the Cybernetic International to possibility to Jamaicans. So, yeah. So, you are probably meeting both of you in Kingston. And Bordegor has a nice stand. 
seems like he's been there in a while. He's wearing a loose Hawaiian shirt, showing his muscles and wearing some colored shorts. And he has some sunglasses in the shape of hearts. Yes. Johnny walks up to the bar next to Border Gore. He says, say, uh, I gotta be honest, that's a great look for you, George. Mind if I buy you a drink? And he punches you in the face. Uh, Johnny just goes. You saw it coming. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did. So I think I, I do take it. I saw it coming, I think, enough to like make sure that I was positioned in such a way that it wasn't going to be this absolutely devastating blow. I was ready for it to like, you know, so wherever wherever I land, it's not going to be like the hardest that it could be. The way that he hit me is not going to be maximum impact. But I take it and uh, I stand up and sort of wipe wipe some some blood out of the corner of my mouth. And I'm just like, all right, fair that uh, that drink, though. Yeah, get it. I cannot believe you were in the same room of Kissinger twice and you did not do this to that motherfucker. It's on the list, I promise. You know, timing is important. I, was, I didn't want to have to. I think he kind of stops and thinks back to the last time that he saw Kissinger and who else was in the room with him and his expression almost immediately darkens and he says there was a complicating factor made things a little tougher he uh, waves over to the bartender and just holds up a two I think they're probably just having sort of the house specialty which if I'm guessing right is probably I mean it's Jamaican so it's probably Ray and nephew he says George, I realize I'm not in much of a position for it, but I was hoping I could ask uh, for your help on something. And I think as much as is reasonable, I think he pretty clearly lays it all out. I don't want to recap it all for the sake of, you know, not boring the audience with repeating all of the same information over and over. But I think he... Yeah, but what are you holding out anything in particular? I'm not having anything spring to mind as something that needs to be held off because I'm I think I'm just trying to express the urgency of this and I, I don't think I'm explicitly saying I'm not trying to let system four know about this but I think the fact that I'm here talking to him George knows that I am off the books here sort of by implication so I don't think there's anything that immediately comes to my mind that I would be holding back except for maybe I'm just maybe just not going into great detail about every individual thing about the situation because I'm trying to hit him with the elevator pitch. He kind of ends that with, I know you're fairly well connected and I know that there's a Soviet presence. I was wondering if you might be able to uh, get us up there and maybe even accompany us. Because, I mean, you know, it's I've only ever heard rumors. They used to say that Border Gore himself was operating in, in secret like a ghost on the moon. I don't know if that's true. And frankly... That's none of my business. But if you know anything about what took place up there, you know the horrors that people saw. There's a risk to this old friend of mine and beyond that to the world at large. Differences aside, I could really use your help on this. It seems like a rescue operation. Not usually my kind of stuff. But yeah, I can get you to Baikonur and... Uh, I can get you on one of the rockets. I can take you to Vulcan too. There you can probably manufacture whatever you need for a landing and get to the moon. I know a super engineer that is there. 
can help you with that. Of course, I hate to bring out politics into this, but you know that uh, someone is going to exploit the situation. And as you can imagine, the USSR is going to make a big deal of this. If someone should do it, it probably should be the Romanov faction. They probably going to want the Stargate. If possible. And that can bring out a new moon war. Do you think that uh, saving these people is more important than maybe causing a, a repeat of uh, the horrors that we may or not have seen in the moon? If I'm honest, my gut says yes. Breeze has a bad habit of only calling for help when things are at their worst. If you can find a way to extract the Stargate discreetly, I ain't going to stand in your way. I don't want to cause a second moon war, so if we can find a way while we're up there to fudge it a little, maybe make it look like there was an accident of some kind, we can avoid a larger conflict. Soviets get what they want, and if the Romanov faction would be best served by this, I have confidence that you'll be in a position to facilitate that success for them. Am I right in thinking so? I'm sorry, did you say Breeze? And uh, you never saw him lose his jovial smile before. Yeah, that's right. You, uh, y'all know each other? I'm going with you. Not negotiable. If I'm honest, George, glad to have you. Welcome aboard. As we go back to the present, we see someone come in and take the fourth seat at the table and it is border guard with the sunglasses with the shorts and with the shirt right as that's happening johnny says yeah on the subject of uh of transportation so we've spoken to border gore about this also border gore thumb war i immediately offer my hand <laughs> yeah as y'all put your hands together, Johnny just sort of gently puts his hands on top of both of y'all and he says, please don't make a mess in this nice family business. Just a thumb more. Yep. All right. Y'all go ahead. <laughs> just a thumb more. Just a thumb more. You can hear the thumbs clashing through the restaurant. <laughs> the air is vibrating. It's anime style. We just hear just the smack of thumb on thumb. Yeah, it seems that he talked with Mordergar before he talked with you. Oh, uh, no, like, uh, John is very... The reason John is really doing something with his hands is John is very upset. But he knows that, like, a thumb war with Mordergar is the most constructive way for both of them to A, keep focused on the conversation, and B, not hurt anyone while being very upset. He's like, so, we tell System 4 and we boogie. Can I make an addendum? Sure. I can set up a detailed and extensive recording of the ways in which I might have fucked up and everything that's happening on the moon, everything they might need to respond to that can broadcast to System 4 on all channels pre-appointed time. Should we not return in time to stop it? I don't want to tell them before we go. Perfect. I disagree wholeheartedly. Damn, keeping secrets, huh? Like I said, this is a uh, this is personal. I understand it's personal, and we can happily tell them this is a personal matter. But they are our team. They trust us wholeheartedly, and I trust them wholeheartedly. They deserve to know. How about we just go and then send them the recording to look 
for like immediately after so like they don't stop us okay that's i think that's the best of both worlds i guess that's kind of my question why would they stop us is there more to this that is not being mentioned i look at johnny is there yeah like the fucking opening to this episode well yes like the whole thing how you've been operating how you've been getting this intel and what you've been acting on it yeah i i look at the other two and i say i think personally this is something i need to get done and i think the only reason they'd stop us is the fact that they didn't hear anything about it in the first place that i figured this out on my own time and through my own means and i don't necessarily want them to know that i've been looking into stuff on my own i know they're our team and i know that they're here to help but i don't know that that pursuit aligns so much with this pursuit rather uh, aligns with what system four is about johnny let me be very very frank with you it doesn't and um there will be time to discuss that but people's lives are in danger and if they try to stop us i will remind them of that fact as well but they deserve to know and then we should go we are wasting time discussing whether or not we should tell them yes i need to prepare uh i'll you you go do what you need to do. I go back to my apartment and pick up some things. All right. Joachim, do you mind giving me a teleport back to? Well, I was just going to leap. Fair enough. I'll join you. Sean. We've got a job to do, Johnny. We'll figure it out. Yeah. And don't tell it too much. I have a plan to take us to Kazakhstan, waiting for us in three hours. Perfect. I'll be back. Where are we meeting? It shouldn't take me that long. Johnny, I think, does something that he may never have done before. He or before John can just like bounce off. He, I think, like takes John by the shoulder and he says, you tell whoever you got. I leave it up to you. I'd prefer if it wasn't the whole team at once. I trust you. And he lets go nods and he says, I'll uh, meet you at the rendezvous. Sounds perfect. So back at Joachim's apartment, they're grabbing like every bit of religious iconography that they own and just shoving it in a duffel bag. They even grab a cross that Rapture gave them. Just like, hey, how about you're like, you know, trying to convert the pagan, basically. <laughs> but that, you know, that's what religious people do. They even grab the cross that Rapture gave them and just shove it in this bag unceremoniously. And then they just head to the airport or wherever we're supposed to meet. John does not go home. John walks into the system four room. Is everyone still assembled? And now uh, it's only Subrana, Void Walker, and Kenyona. The others already went for lunch. All right, guys. And John just looks sad. Hey, I'm going to go to space. Me, Johnny, Joachim, Bordergore. There's an issue on the moon. And Subrana turns her monitor on and is looking through the notes like, what? No way I will not have anything about that. What is going on? What is wrong with the computer? There's nothing wrong with the computer. Johnny got it from an outside source. Keep an ear out. If something goes wrong, I'll try and send a distress signal or something. Don't cavalry up. Try to rescue us right away. If I need you, I'll give you a call. And Boyd Walker seems upset. Just like that. Just like that. And Severani is really upset. You know what this means, right? This is, this is just not how we do things. This compromises the whole thing. I know, Sobrana. If we start doing things like this, I don't know what this means to System 4. I don't know what this means for cybernetics, Chile. Well, why even pretend anymore? Sobrana, 
And John Doe looks at her just defeated. Just, I know, but someone's in danger. It's better if you were the one telling the others. Yeah, I don't have long. I have a couple hours, but I want to tell you three first because you're here. And the other stations, they will also want to know. Oh, and I'll tell them. I'll tell them before we go. And Void Walker just teleports out without saying a word. King on the crosses her arms. John Doe sits down hard in his chair and just looks at Kiona. Yeah, go. Maybe next time that there is a, a major crisis, we just don't get you involved. Kiona, you know it's not about that. Yeah, go. The moment Lance Flair comes in, we're gonna prepare to correct after your fuck-ups. Don't mess this up. Jesus Christ, don't get anyone killed, okay? That's always the goal, isn't it? I swear, if you don't come back, I'm gonna summon Bolivar and I'm gonna set him on your ass. That makes John Doe crack just a hair of a smile, just you promise? Yeah, you better believe it. How long do you think Void's gonna go before she talks to me again? I think she's probably not not even gonna be in the same room as you. Maybe until it comes to... Fuck. I don't know, it will probably be meant. Shit, probably when you come back from uh, Yugoslavia. Yeah, remember that you still have that thing, right? Oh, son of a bitch. Yeah, I want to see how you're going to face everyone on the Cybernetic International at the annual conference after this. Enjoy your vacation, idiot. You know, with friends like this. Yeah, try to make new friends in the moon, I guess. You really think I want moon friends? I heard that moon friends rock. We really cratered out with that joke. It's good thing that Void Walker's not here. She will kill us all. At this point? Alright. When Lensler gets back, I'll tell him. Everyone else. Wait, we're gonna check on Void. Go ahead. Please. See you when we rescue your ass from the moon. Statistically, probably. And they leave, leaving you alone. John Doe walks over in this Star Trek-ass command center to a trash can and just crushes it down to the size of a paper ball and then very calmly puts it down and sits back down to wait for Lens Flare. Yeah, Lens Flare comes quite, well, one hour later and he... He has his coats on the side, and he seems surprised that it's only you. Hey, so what's going on? Johnny got an out-of-network tip that there's something going on in the moon. Me, him, Joachim are going up to Kaldara base to deal with it. God damn it, John. I know. I told you. I told you many times. You always dismiss it. You cannot trust him. He's my best friend. I have to. Yeah, he still works first and foremost to the government. He's trying to get you and Berzer Kiro put in. He says it's a personal matter and it doesn't feel wrong. Yeah, that's how he he gets it. Next time you're going to be doing hits for the government. It won't come to that. Come on, Lens, you know me a little better than that, right? Yeah, this is why I'm telling you, you need to smarten up. Next time, might not be that personal. I know. I already told everyone else. 
yeah, you hear him talk, well, not talk about the Moon Wars, and you will think that Johnny was the only one that fucking fought there. And it's his personal business. Maybe this will give him some closure. Don't we all deserve that? Yeah, that, this is what, uh, you know, this is what uh, it is for uh, the world exists for your big personal narrative. Hey, now, I'm American by resurrection. I don't know. I Just be careful, okay? You know it, Lens. If there's a problem, you're probably going to be the first person I call because now you're going to need time to whip something up to save our asses. Yeah. Again, someone is going to be using you as a fall guy. And you, you remember, you, you, you cannot get tangled on these personal issues because everyone keeps voting you as a representative of the Chilean cybernetics and system for, for a reason. People trust you. People see themselves on you. People want to believe on you. If you get tarnished somehow, if you, I don't need to tell you what that means for what we want. And fuck, you are a symbol of our beliefs and you are technically betraying them now. Or a personal issue for a friend. Remember that it's not only you that you represent. I know, Lens. You're right. I wish it were I wish it was easier. It never is easier. Well Plus we have the Solex thing that's gonna give us a bit of a goodwill. Get associated with that. Don't go around trying an international incident on the moon. I mean, it'd be interstellar if it was an incident, right? Yeah, we already had one of those just early this year. All right. We're on a tight ship. Be back soon. Yeah, yeah. I'll take lots of pictures. (laughs) Good. John grabs his coat off his seat, looks. Oh, uh, we're going to need a trash can. Someone crushed it down. Mm Mm-hmm. Someone. All right. See you soon, Lens. Bye. Johnny leaves the restaurant. He kind of promises to meet Border Gore at the rendezvous point and heads back to his office at the university. By the time he's gotten there, the bike has been switched into sort of its street configuration where it looks more innocuous. He's wearing kind of more casual clothes. And he walks in uh, to his office. I think at first he steps into his lab and we see him kind of messing with a few different devices and what Johnny's doing is essentially scrambling his communications network in such a way that if System 4 were to go looking for it, they wouldn't be able to find it anymore. Or at least it would take them a good while. And once he feels comfortable with the effectiveness of that to make sure that it is as as encrypted as he can get it to be, which is a not insignificant amount, he then heads into his office and he starts writing a couple letters. Yeah, uh, Roscoe shows up Hey, Professor, what's going on? I'm about to have to make a a trip out of town, and I'm not... It's sort of last minute, and I'm kind of trying to prep everything quickly. If I'm honest, Roscoe, I was... I've been sitting over here starting to pen my resignation. I know that seems sort of sudden, but I've got some stuff i got to take care of, and I'm worried that I would be doing this university a disservice by staying on staff. Professor, the Chilean infrastructure has no future without you. You're not here to help us. We basically have to start from scratch. Like, we are already pushed to the limits of what we can do, and it's outside of the box solutions. If you leave, that will put us back 10 years back. We will still be relying on the telex. Johnny's leaning on the desk, and he's got his head kind of in one of his hands, and he kind of sighs, and he says, 
Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, you're you're a capable guy, Roscoe. That's the reason I keep you around. You don't think that? Well, part of knowing stuff is knowing what you don't know, and I know my limits. Like I know that I can figure it out, but uh, having you as my mentor guiding me it prevents me from making a lot of mistakes, and that is what is important here because we cannot afford mistakes. Chile has one chance to get this right. I, of course, I can do it. Never doubt for a second, but. It's more important that I know what not to do, what might be an easily avoidable mistake that can do. There's kind of a sad half smile on Johnny's lips as he says, yeah, I guess it's good to know when you're good to have someone telling you when you're making a mistake. I'll, uh, I'll be out of town for a few days. I've left out lesson plans and everything, of course, and uh, keep all my meeting notes out here and available so that I'm afraid I'm going to need you to just sort of take my meetings for the next few days. What tells us new professor? I suppose that's true. Yeah. Worst case, case scenario, can ask a sabbatical. I suppose so. Roscoe, this is going to seem like an odd question. As near as you can tell, I'm doing my best to do right by you and yours, right? By the, by the country and by this whole effort. I think it cannot be denied that anyone of the volunteers came here follow up to 74 they are doing everything that they can and uh, they have more than earned their place in whatever new society we are building here i think nobody is contesting that from you or anyone i suppose that's the best we can hope for johnny stands up from behind the desk and uh walks over to roscoe and holds his hand out to shake and he says i don't tell you this enough roscoe but um you're a good friend and you are a Better co-worker than I deserve. Your assistant professor shakes your hand back. As he goes to shake my hand, I think I pull him in for a hug. And he says, I hope you feel as appreciated as you deserve to be. How about uh, recommending me for your job? Then <laughs> He jokingly laughs. It's that same kind of sad half smile. And he says, you know, down the line, I'll promise you that one. Thanks, Roscoe. I think that's... Uh, Everything I got for right now. I'll uh, leave you as much information available as possible. I'll try to write down pretty detailed on where anything you might need is. I'll uh, I'll see you soon. Good luck, Professor. Thanks. Have a good weekend. You too. And as you leave, Roscoe picks up the phone. Yeah, he's on the move. Ah, uh, snap. As Johnny leaves... We see the second letter that he's written, which is sealed in an envelope. And as he leaves, he drops it in a mailbox. He gets on the bike and heads to the rendezvous. And uh, as he does, we see the bike change into its full highwayman configuration. And he kind of takes his hands off the steering wheel and leans back a little bit and just sort of lets the wind like whip into his face. And as he does, he from like one of the side compartments, pulls out a kind of tired looking black leather duster, whips it around his back and then pulls a neckerchief up over his face.
Crimson Gold Agonies is an associate of Court Games and D20 Raid. Joaquin Jarve, aka Berserkir, is played by Brand Torreson. They can be found at Copper Credit almost everywhere. Check out their other podcasts, Splinters of Jade and L5R Thriller Actual Play. They are available for editing work. Message them for rates. Johnny Jennings, aka The Highwayman, is played by Sam Sedlakser. They can be found at SGCA Delaysec on Instagram and Young Space Dead on Twitter. They are largely impressive. John Doe is played by Bradley Hainler. You can follow him at Judge the Barbarian on Twitter or as co-writer on Split Roll, where he screams his opinions at you. Ludo handles the rest. You can find them at The Lettel and more of her stuff as Agonizing Crimson at Itchio or co-writing Split Roll. Citadel Comics RPG is the property of Greater Than Games and designed in collaboration with Critical Hits. Crimson Gold Agonies is possible through the support of listeners like you. You can support us on Patreon or even better, you can review us on iTunes and you can spread the word because there is no better way to get into a podcast just because a friend told us about it.